There we go. This morning we have the privilege of reading, and this coming Shabbos we have the privilege of reading Parshas Vayera. It appears uh, in the Stone Chumash, right before Parshas Chayesara. Um, we are going to start from the beginning of Perak Chafalaf. We're going to start from the beginning of chapter 21 today, which appears in the Stone Chumash on page 94. Page 94 in the Stone Chumash. Perak Chafalaf, chapter 21. And uh, just a little background again, a brief overview of the Parsha, so we understand the context in which, uh, in which we're studying. At the beginning of this week's Parsha, Avram finds himself uh, recovering from his circumcision. He's on the third day, the hardest day to recover from surgery. Baruch Hu, God himself visits him. He interrupts his conversation with the Almighty in order to entertain and host guests. Rashi deduces from here that God it is greater to welcome guests, it's greater to uh, be hospitable than it is even to continue a conversation with God. It's a very peculiar Rashi, it's a very peculiar teaching. Really makes no, you're talking to Hashem, you're in the middle of a conversation with the King of Kings, and it's better to interrupt it to welcome three wandering Arabs, three nomads. Tell them, hold on, wait a minute, I'm in the middle of talking to God. What's going on? And one of the most beautiful answers I ever saw to this question is that it is better to, if there's a conflict between talking to God and imitating God, God would prefer that we imitate Him. Welcoming guests is essentially imitating God. You can't claim to love God and want to continue to carry conversation when you're going to neglect God's children. So that if there's a conflict between talking to God and being like God, being like God is more important. In fact, this is not what I wanted to study today, but... Rabbi Soloveitchik uh, had a beautiful interpretation. You know, the Mishnah of Brachos is a long discussion. When you're allowed to interrupt, if somebody, uh, if somebody initiates conversation with you and you're reciting Shema, in between paragraphs, during a paragraph, and so on and so forth. So, we don't actually observe this today for a whole host of reasons, but strictly speaking, according to the Gemara, the Shulchan Aruch quotes, if you're in the middle of the recitation of Shema, someone comes up to you in the middle of a paragraph, between paragraphs, depends which paragraph, is it somebody who you have uh, awe and reverence of, is it somebody you have great respect for, all kinds of rules. But the bottom line is, there are circumstances you could interrupt your recitation of Shema, because you're sitting there saying Shema, you got the talus over your head, you're wearing your tefillin, or you're just intensely with great fervor saying Shema, and someone comes up and doesn't realize you're saying Shema, I don't know how they can miss it. They don't realize. And they say, George, what's going on? It's been 40 years since MTA, BTA. I don't know where you went to high school. What? What? You would. What's happening? How are you doing? So the strict letter of the law is, you respond. You say, I'm doing well. How are you? Say, Shema, let's, let's talk in a minute. So what's going on? You're talking to God. Shema is you're meditating on the unity of God's existence. How do you interrupt that? Says Rabbi Soloveitchik, says Rabbi Soloveitchik, it's model, he doesn't link it to this opening Rashi. Says Rabbi Soloveitchik, because your Shema is an affirmation, your belief in the unity of God's existence. There's a greater affirmation that you believe in God. The greatest affirmation you believe in God is to be like God. So to be discourteous, to be rude, to embarrass someone in the name of meditating on God's existence is being exactly unlike God. God would never want us to treat someone else rudely. God would never want us to embarrass somebody. God would never want us to place a conversation with Him ahead of the dignity of another human being. So said the Rav, the reason you're allowed to interrupt Shema, to respond to someone, again, it depends, middle of a paragraph, between paragraphs, and so on and so forth, but the principle of why you're allowed to interrupt is, the greatest affirmation of belief in God is to be like God. To the best of my knowledge, the Rav didn't connect it to Avram and Hashem in the beginning of this week's Parsha, but it's the same principle. Avram's in the middle of talking to God, he interrupts in order to show hospitality. Why? Because the greatest affirmation more important than talking to God is to imitate, is to be like God. So that's the beginning of this week's. Right, Yom Kippur also, you can't receive atonement until you show God that you've worked things out with His children, meaning that you're like, you're imitating God. We, we, this is a very, very important principle. All the time we see people who claim to be uh, followers of God. They claim to be virtue. They claim to be noble. There's such a fabrenta, fervor, straw... And, and yet, in their interpersonal relationships, they're not acting godlike at all. Is on, they're lacking ethics and morality. They're they lack courtesy. They're they're cruel and mean, discourteous. 
you can't claim to affirm God's existence and not at the same time seek to imitate and to be God-like. At the same time, you can't be God-like in terms of interpersonal and then claim to love God but neglect Him in terms of His ritual and religious demands. So of course that's the balance between Ben Adam Lamakam and Ben Adam Lachavero, between religious life and, and moral or ethical life. Are they connected or not? But that's not beyond the scope of uh, our class on the text-based uh, with commentaries. But that's what's happening at the beginning of the parsha. I don't really want to focus on that because I just wanted to, to fly through the uh, context of the parsha. Did, did you say that the interaction between Avraham Avinu and God was through dreams? So how do you have where Hashem supposedly is to him. Great question. If every Navi only was able to feel God's presence when they were asleep, then what does it mean God's talking to him here and it's interrupted? It's a great question. I'm not really sure. It's a good question. So that's what's happening at the beginning of the Parsha. We know he, gives, he feeds these angels. One of the angels is there. There are three angels. Each one has a mission and a purpose. One is there to destroy Sodom. One is there to inform Avram that he's going to have a son. And one is there to help save Lot. So there's a promise given to, uh, revealed to uh, Sarah. It's revealed to Avram. Sarah, of course, we know, laughs. Seems uh, cynical about it. Avram learns about Sodom's destruction. How does he know about Sodom's destruction? Because they're taking leave of him and he knows that they have to have multiple missions. Avram, unlike Noah, uh, objects and intercedes. First, the Torah testifies God's love. God, uh, God states his, his great love of Avram, why? Fascinating. I wish we had more time for this. God does not love Avram because he revolutionizes the world from paganism to monotheism. That's not why God loves Avram. It's an incredible statement. Torah tells us, you know why God loves Avram? Because Avram loves his kids. It's a very important message for rabbis, for community leaders, business. You could change the world, but if you're not successful in transmitting it to your own kids, God loves Avram because he's going to have a Yitzchak even Yishmael, he tries to pass on his values. He understands the importance of his progeny, of continuity, of, of even before Yitzhak is born. Lamanya Asher because he will Asher Yitzhava as Banav. Avram intercedes and protests Sodom. Sodom is destroyed. Lot is saved. Um, Lot bet. Which pasuk is that? If you want to see that further, it is chapter Yudches, chapter eighteen, verse nineteen. Pasuk Yutes, page 82, top of page 82 in the stone Chumash. So Lot is saved. We could talk all about Sodom, Avram protesting, how it's a precedent. I mean, Avram protests. You're talking about the omnipotent, omniscient, perfect, infinite God. Who are you to protest? Doesn't he know best? Who is Avram, a finite, limited person, limited intellect, limited understanding? Who is he to protest God and say, what are you doing? And yet Avram does, and it represents a precedent for us topic for another time. Lod's daughters, the, um, the uh, incestuous relationship, Moab and Ammon are born, and then Avram is in Gerar, Sarah is abducted, we have the same incident again, Avram didn't learn from it the last time when he says, yeah, she's my sister, and then Avimelech takes her, and God punishes him, and basically challenges Avram, what's the deal, why'd you lie to me, and they uh, make peace, and they go their way. And that brings us up to... Chapter 21, Parakhav Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, what I want to study today. Again, ours is a, not a Divrei Torah-based class, a text-based class with a sensitivity to the text and analysis thereof. Parakhav Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, Hashem Pakad Es Sarah. You may be familiar. When do we read this? Aside from this, aside from this coming Shabbos. We read it on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Right? That's why you may hear in your, in your, in your mind the Rosh Hashanah tune for, this, for these words, for Hashem Pakada Sarah, rather than the regular trope. Hashem Pakada Sarah Kasher Amar, God, translate Pakad, remembered Sarah as he said he would, Vayas Hashem Sarah Kasher Diber, and he performed for Sarah as he said he would. What does that mean? Vatar Vatelet Sarah Lavram, we'll read the whole section and we'll go back and dissect it. Vatahar, she conceived, Vatelet Sarah Lavram ben Luzkunav, she conceived and then she bore him a son in his old age, a ben zikunim, la moed asher diber oso elokim. At the appointed time, that's what a moed is. Moed is the same as a chag, a yontif. Yontif is called a moed. Moed means a appointed time. So at the appointed time, asher diber oso elokim, that God had said. What do you mean? God gave a due date? 
What does it mean the appointed time? So she conceives and she has a child while Avram's in advanced age and he fulfills his promise. Avram gave a name, a name to his son, the one who was born to him through Sarah. And what was that name? Yitzchak. You may remember that verse we read it at a bris mila for good reason because it means Avram circumcised his son when he was eight days as God had commanded him. Avraham was how old? A hundred years old. He was a hundred years old when Yitzchak was born to him as a son. Sarah said, God has, translate the word tzchok. Good, it's a difficult word to translate. We'll come back to it. God has made tzchok. Whoever hears will... Now it's interesting, isn't it? First they gave him the name Yitzchak. And then Sarah says, he's a tzchok. Everyone's going to Yitzchak. Usually the Torah gives a name. The etymology of the name is provided. Ephraim ki Usually the name is given. Why? Here they give a name, Yitzchak. It doesn't say Yitzchak ki kol Yitzchak li. It's given Yitzchak. Avram gives him a bris. Sarah later reacts and says, You know what? Tzchok. Everyone's going to laugh at me. Batomer mimi leil Avraham heinika vanim Sarah ki alariti ben lizkunav. So she says, who is the one who said to Avraham, Sarah is going to nurse children? Because look, I've, born, I've, I've given birth to a child, and he's an, he's an old man, he's an empty nester. Now he's a full nester. <laughs> Not to say empty nesters are old people, oh boy. How do, I, how do I get my foot out of my mouth now? <laughs> so Yitzchak grew up, Vayigamal means he was weaned. It's interesting, the same word for weaned is gamal. What's a gamal? Camel. 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 And that's the same word we use. Somebody who performs a lot of chesed. How do we describe them as a? As a gomel chesed. Gemilas chasadim. So, there's a lot to analyze there. I think Rabbi Miller was fond of speaking about that. That vayigamal means to be weaned. A gamal is a camel. Gemilas chesed, when one bestows chesed, they're doing camel chesed, or they're doing weaning chesed. You got to figure all that out. Vayas Avram Mishtegadol. Avram made a big party biyom higamel es Yitzchak on the day that Yitzchak is weaned. I mean, could you imagine today? We send out invitations. Everyone's invited. What's the party? He's no longer nursing. He's on formula. He's eating solids. We're making a big party. It's not an upsharing. It's not a birthday party. It's not a bar mitzvah. Why the party with the bounce house and the magician? He's no longer nursing. Yeah, they haven't figured that out yet, the caterers. Vatera, the party planners. Oh, we'll come back to that. So now Yitzchak is weaned. Is there a connection? We don't know. We'll talk about all of this. Sarah observes that upon Yitzchak's being weaned, Hagar, the Egyptian, who had born, who had, who had given birth for Avraham to Namely, who'd she give birth to? Yishmael. She is Mitzachek. Here comes that Mitzachek again. Vatomerli Avraham. So she doesn't like it one bit. She tells Avraham, Garesha Amahazos Vezbina. Get rid of her. I want her out. Her and her son. Kilo, we're on page 96. Top of page 96. Kilo Yirash Bena Amahazos Imbini Imitzrak. For the son of this woman, this maidservant, is not going to inherit with my son, with Yitzrak. Did Avraham like this? It distressed him. By the way, what distressed him? That she requested it, or that Yishmael is not going to inherit, or that what distressed him? Torah doesn't tell us. Alo dos beno on the on the situation, the circumstance of his son. Which son? Yishmael or Yitzchak? Okay, we got to get back to that. I see it's distressing you. It's causing you anxiety. Relax. Don't worry, Allah nar v'yala masecha on the lad and on your maidservant. Kol tamar ilacha Sarah. This is a verse that women have been reminding their husbands for generations. Kol tamar ilacha Sarah. Shema bikola. We've tried to edit it out unsuccessfully, men. That whatever your wife Sarah says, listen to her voice. Why not just listen to her? Why listen to her voice? 
Just listen to her. Ki bi because it is through Yitzchak that you will find a legacy, that you will find continuity. Don't worry. The, 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 the son of the maidservant, I'm also going to place a nation. He's also your offspring, your progeny. He wakes up in the morning. He hears God and he wakes up in the morning. But Avram is hospitable. He's not going to send them off without a little peckle of food. So he makes a little brunch for them. He gives it to Hagar. She packs it. She takes it on her shoulder. Together with the boy. And he exiles her. She goes, she wanders in the desert in, uh, in Be'er Sheva. She departs, she's straying, she's wandering. What happens with her and Yishmael? That's its own story. We're going to leave that for another year. We don't have, uh, we can't get into that. But let's now just go back to the section we've read and begin to analyze. Because again, the purpose of our class, what you've told me we want to do, what we've been doing for the last couple of years, is a text-based class. Why is this word used? Why is that vowel used? Why is there the redundancy? What's the transition? What's the connection? We listen on Shabbos to the Parsha. Okay, storyline, it's cute. Our kids come home and report. We do Parsha questions and answers with them. But there's so much to glean from the text itself. So let's go back to the beginning of Perak Hafalaf. Vashem Pakad Sarah, God remembers Sarah, Kasher Amar, as he said. What's going on here? So look at Rashi. <coughs> There's, Rashi often tries to deduce from the juxtaposition of the sections. Why is it that one narrative appears next to the other? It's not always because they're chronologically in order. As we know, for Rashi, ain Torah. Torah does not necessarily follow a chronological order. So when God, the great redactor, the great editor, takes the Torah and places one narrative next to another, for Rashi, the assumption is there is something to learn from the placement of the stories. <coughs> the transition from one story to another in itself has something you can learn. So what was the last story right before ours? The last story right before ours is with Avimelech. Avimelech takes Sarah, thinking she's just a beautiful woman, thinking she's Avram's sister. God comes in a dream and says, hey buddy, what are you doing? He is afflicted with a plague. He therefore realizes something's off, comes to Avram, challenges him. Avram says, you're right, it's my sister. Why'd you do that? So what does, Av, what does Avram do? He davens for Avimelech. He feels accountable for having tricked him. And therefore he davens that Avimelech should be healed from this plague, which was his punishment. And indeed he is healed. So Rashi tells us, you know, so that's the end of last, the last section. And now the beginning of our section, Sarah is remembered. Is that a coincidence? Says Rashi, no. When you daven for someone else who's struggling with the same thing as you, you're answered first. When you place the other person's interest ahead of your own, when you feel the pain of someone else, when you're able to be selfless instead of selfish, when you're able to be a giver instead of a taker, then in the merit of that, God remembers you. That's a Gemara and Babakama Daftadi Beis. How do we know that? Where do we see that? This Parsha. Avraham is davening for Avimelech. In the merit of that davening for Avimelech, he is answered first. Sarah conceives she is healed from her infertility. Vashem Pakara Sarah, she is healed from her infertility even before Avimelech. In the merit that Avram davened for someone else first. Now, this is, we could spend an hour on that statement. One second, we could spend an hour on that statement of the Gemara. It's complicated. Because there are organizations today that match people up. You know, one person who's single with another single to daven for getting married, infertility, unemployed. And, but, but if you're davening for the other person first, because therefore you could get answered first, you're davening for the other person so you could get answered first, so that defeats the purpose. Right. It has to be genuinely davening for the other person without any association or connection to your circumstance. I'm davening for the other person because they deserve. You know? A person suffering from infertility, dominating for someone else, and willing to say to the Almighty, if it's a choice between me and her, give her a baby. They're suffering so terribly, if one of us is going to conceive God, let it be her. In that merit, God will listen to you. But it can't be, I'm dominating for her, God, so therefore give me a baby, because hey, I fulfilled the formula that dominated for her first. That's not the purpose of it. Well, how does the mechanism work? Again, that's for another time. What I want to share with you is that Rashi is deducing that from the juxtaposition. One section, it's as if 
Avram Davnus Shmueli Melech, Vashem Pakara Sarah, so God remembered Sarah. You see, understand what Rashi Rashi was trying to understand. What's the connection? Va Hashem could have said Hashem Pakara Sarah. Hashem remembered Sarah. The Vav is a Vav HaChibur. It connects it to the section immediately before. What's the section immediately before? Vayis Palel Avram El HaElokim. So therefore Rashi understands Avram Davins to Hashem Vashem Pakara Sarah and God remembers Sarah. You see from here when you Davin for someone else you're answered first. But why does not say God remembered that He promised Avram that He had Sarah? Oh, okay, that's a separate... That's a good question, but a separate point. Okay, good, good. That's a separate point. Also, we'll see Rashi mentions that. Just hold your questions again, people. Uh, if you can, hold your questions till the end for those who are listening on the recording. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's difficult to, to follow. Okay, continuing. Rashi says, Pakara Sarah Kashir Amar, he remembered Sarah as he promised, means Beherayon. He promised her she would conceive, she indeed conceived. What's the difference between Kashir Amar and then Ve'as Hashem Sarah Kashir Diber? No one asked that. Bothered Rashi. He remembered Sarah as he said. He did for Sarah as he said. Well, why Kashir Amar and then Kashir Diber? So Kashir Amar for Rashi corresponds with conception. Kashir Diber for Rashi corresponds with Leda. And then she gave birth. Because it's not just it's such a given that just because you conceive, that will culminate in a healthy birth. One third of pregnancies end in miscarriage before the third month, before the f- first trimester ends. One third of pregnancies in the first trimester end in miscarriage. And tragically, miscarriages and stillbirths after that. But so, today, so today, yeah. today. So, the fact that a person conceives is worthy of celebration. It's worthy of cautious celebration because tragically there are people who it doesn't find, doesn't uh, come to fruition. So, Kasher Amar, as he promised, he promised her she'd conceive. Kasher Diber, as he said, he also said she would give birth. So both were fulfilled, conception and birth. Veheichan hi amira, veheichan hu dibur. And where was this amira? Where were these two promises? Says Rashi, Amira vayomer lokim, aval Sarah ishtecha. The amira was when God told Avram, however Sarah is going to have. Dibur hayat diber Hashem al Avram bebris ben absarim. Vesham nemar lo yirashar chazeh vegomer vehevi ayorish misara. The Debor was when Avram promised in Brisbane, when Avram was promised in Brisbane Absarim, you're going to have a son through Sarah who will inherit you. That was the Debor, meaning he promised he promised her, he promised Avram she's going to conceive. But he also promised independently, and you're going to have continuity who will inherit you. That was the promise of of uh, birth. And then Avram. He did for Sarah what he had promised to Avram. The Ramban quotes Rashi. Look at the Ramban Nachmanides. Kasher Amar beherayon, Kasher Diber beleider. Lashon Rashi. Vein pekida ela lashon zechira vashgacha al hanifkad. Why does it say Hashem pakad? Why doesn't it say Hashem zachar? God remembered. What is pakad? We're looking. Skip for a moment, actually, to the kliyakar. The kliyakar of Zaman Ephraim Lunch Ephraim Zaman Lunchitz asks exactly this question. Yesh hefesh bein lashon pekida lelashon asiya. There's a difference between Pekida and Asiya. Pekida means to remember. Pekida really means to count. Parshas Pekudim. Ele Pekudea Mishkan. What's, what's Pekudim? Pekod Pekadati is to count, is to take, take an accounting of, to remember, to recall, to focus on, to take accounting of. That's different than Asiya. What's Asiya? To do, to perform. Says the Kliyaka, there's a difference between Pekida and Asiya. Pekida just means to remember. So God doing, performing, is actually doing something. God remembering means I remember. So if I see you and I say, oh, I'm reminded that I promised you I got to do X, Y, and Z. So that's nice, I remembered, but I actually haven't made any progress. I haven't done anything. But if I see you and I say, oh, I promise you, I'm doing ABC right now. So now I'm actually doing. So he didn't do. Why does it say Vashem Pakad? He remembered. Why doesn't it say he did? Which it does. It says God remembered Vashem Pakad, Vayas, and he did. Why didn't it just skip to Vayas? Why did he have to first remember? 
Continues the Kliyaka. Ramasak Aniyo Seoscha Briya Chadasha. Gamesh Hefresh Bein Lashon Amira Lashon Dibur. You have in the beginning, so, so you have Pakad, God remembered, Kashir Amar. And then Vayas, he did, Kashir Diber. Diber is a different word than Amar. Hold on, hold on. So if you're sensitive to the text, as the Kliyakar is, he wants to know what's going on here. Why do we go from Pakad to Vayas? And why do we go from Kashir Amar to Kashir Diber? What's going on in this Pasuk? That's what he asks. Ubi or Indian, he says, the answer is, Shakashir. When Sarah was remembered, so too were all women suffering for infertility. At that moment that God bestowed divine kindness on Sarah, He, he by extension, also bestowed that blessing on every woman struggling with infertility. So he says, even though all infertile women were remembered, but Sarah was remembered directly with perfect affection, others were only remembered by extension of her. So therefore he says, Vashem Pokad, he remembered Sarah, Vayaas, and he performed, allowing all women to conceive. For Sarah, it's Kasher Amar, which is more affection. For everyone else, it's Dib- I'm sorry, it's Dibor, which is more affection. For everyone else, it's Amar. Kleakar gives his answer. I personally find his question more compelling than his answer. The question again is the sensitivity to the text. Why Pakad and then Vayas? Why Kasher Amar and then Kasher Diber? The Ramban also addresses this. And the Ramban says, the language of Pekida means to be remembered. Not only remember, but Hashkacha, to be divine providence, for God to be um, following up, to be tracking. God not only remembers, but to remember means I'm going to watch over. I, I remember, and I'm going to personally and directly take care of it. Continues the Ramban. Or Shimshon. 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 Shimshon remembered. He remembered her, but it didn't stop at remembering. He therefore did what he said he would do. I once gave a, a drasha, a yizker drasha. The, the Ramban points out that you see, it doesn't just say that God did. God's doing is introduced by God's remembering. What's the significance of God remembering? When we recite Yizkar on the, on the Shalash Regalim and Yom Kippur, how does Yizkar begin? If I stopped you, I woke you in the middle of the night and I said, Yizkar, who's remembering? When we say Yizkar, who's remembering? You would say to me, we're remembering. Remembering parents, remembering grandparents, remembering grandson, uncles, neighbors, friends. Yizkar is a process of our reminding ourselves. However, however, if you look at the words of Yizkar, Yizkar begins, Yizkar Elohim. May God remember. So Yizkar is not about reminding ourselves. Yizkar is a process of reminding God. Which begs the question, does God forget that He needs to be reminded? Shalash Agalam and Yom Kippur were reminding God of our loved ones. Has He forgotten them? Is God's memory subject to forgetfulness that we have to remind Him? And similarly here, Hashem Pakad, God remembered Sarah. Is He capable of forgetting? We make promises and forget. We forget obligations. God's capable of forgetting. And the Ramban points out it's not just with Sarah. With every one of our matriarchs, with Chana and others, when God makes that promise, when they struggle for infertility, when He chooses to change their circumstance, it's introduced with Vayizkor Elohim, or Vashem Pakad. He remembers them. What's the meaning of God remembering? If He's not even capable of forgetting, and therefore what's the process of Yizkor really all about? You have to come to the next Yizkor. What's next Yizkor? Pesach. So Pesach. Come Pesach, we'll answer that question. But I wanted to put it out there for you, the Kliyakar and the Ramban, and why I have to keep you coming back, so I have to leave some things for you as questions. Okay, continuing. She conceives, she gives birth to Avram, a ben lezkunav, a son while he is old, a ben zekunim. When? At the appointed time. What's this appointed time? Says Rashi, 
Rabudin Rabchama, Rabudin Omer, Malamich, Nodon the Tes Chadashim, Shalayom Rabbi Beza Shalavi Melechu. Chama Omer the Shiva Chadashim. Rabudin says, You see from here that he was born nine months later. Why nine months later? No one would suspect that he was the result of a union between Sarah and Avimelech. By taking a full nine months after they leave, take leave of Avimelech, this way no one would have suspicion. Rabbi Chama is of the opinion, no, she, he was born in the seventh month. Whenever it is, the point is, it wasn't haphazard. Avram, uh, Yitzchak was not, was not born in a random date. It was Lamo'ed, it was at an appointed time according to Rashi. By the way, the Balaturim says, Pakad Sarah, Bigamatria, Af Kol Akaros Pakad. The numerical value of, and God remembered Sarah is, and he also remembered all barren women. Vashem Pakad, Bigamatria is the same numerical value of, Af Kol Akaros Pakad, he also remembered all barren women. So she conceives and she gives birth. Says the Orachayim Akadosh. Turn to the Orachayim if you have them, Orachayim Ben Atar. Morocco and then Yerushalayim. Omar Vatahar Yizbor al-Derech Omram Zal. The Medrash of Rishas Rabbah says, Beit Madron lo hayalah, Zem modia ki hayanis gam beheirayon. So if you'll say to me, okay, she gave birth, why do we have to know? Nobody asked this question. We said, Rashi says, Hashem Pakad, he remembers her, means she conceived. And Kasher Diber means, and she gave birth. Let me ask you a question possible to conceive without giving birth, tragically. Is it possible to give birth without conceiving? Not in our religion, at least. You can't give birth without... You can't give birth without conceiving. So why don't we skip right to just say, and God fulfilled His promise by she gave birth, and we'll know implicitly that He fulfilled His promise in that she also conceived. Implicitly, conception should be involved in having given birth. What's going on? So the Orachayim HaKadosh uh, quotes the Gemara that says, um, when it says that Sarah ain't love Vlad, she didn't have a child, earlier in the Parsha, Rashi there says, it mean, not only she didn't have a Vlad, she didn't have a base Vlad. She had no uterus. Sarah was born without a uterus. Or she had a hysterectomy. She didn't have the hardware. Bottom line was, she didn't have the hardware to have a baby. So, Conception itself represented a miracle. In fact, the Gemara learns from here, I think it's a Gemara in Sukkah, if I, if I remember correctly, that you see from here that prayer is so potent and powerful a tool that you could get God to reverse nature. You could get God to reverse nature through prayer. Prayer is so powerful that God will override the rules of nature. So never give up. Now, you're not allowed to daven for a miracle. Right? On a separate note, the Gemara Nida says very, very clearly that you have the first 40 days of conception. I happen to know this Gemara well. You have the first 40 days of conception to daven for the gender of the child. But the Gemara assumes that it's at 40 days that the gender becomes determined. And by the way, modern science tells you that it's at conception that it's determined because the chromosomes are formed then. However, I will tell you that even modern science acknowledges that the genitalia do not form until the 40th day after conception. That maybe within the, on a chromosomal level, it's already predetermined, but on the physical level, the manifestation is not till, corresponds exactly with the 40th day after, after conception. So it's less of you're davening for a miracle within those 40 days, because there's no chromosomal analysis of in utero. So the Talmud says, the first 40 days you could daven, uh, whether it's a a boy or a girl. From the 40th day until this day, you could daven from this. From this day to that day, you could daven for that. Why is that? Because after that period, you're praying for a miracle. If it's already predetermined, if it's manifested that it's going to be a boy, then for you to daven that it's going to be a girl, you're asking God to do a miracle. We don't believe in davening for miracles. But we do believe in davening and davening's effectiveness even in performing a miracle. So Sarah literally lacked a womb. She lacked a uterus. And the prayers were so effective, God transcended nature. Fine. So therefore the Orachayim says, when it says Vatahar, where she conceived, don't, you don't understand what was bothering the Orachayim. Read Pasuk Beis again. This is a text-based class. None of you asked this question. Vatahar Vateled Sarah. In those three words, which word is extra? Not Sarah, although you could ask. We know we're talking about Sarah, so maybe Sarah is extra. Vatar. And she conceived. Why is it extraneous? Because, because, she can't because the Prophet could have said, Vatelet Sarah. 
Because we know that if Vatayla Tzara, if we know that Tzara gave birth, what do we know? Vatar, that she first conceived. She didn't swallow Yitzchak and then give birth to him. She had to first conceive him. So Vatar is an extra word. The text, every word in the real estate of the Torah is precious. Nothing is extra. That is the assumption of every commentary. So when they see a word that they perceive as extra, they're bothered by the question, why is it there? So the Rechaim is bothered, why is the word Vatahar there? Let the verse begin, Vatelaid Sarah. And Sarah gave birth, and I will know that she conceived. Says the Rechaim, to tell us that Vatar, conception itself, was a miracle. She lacked a womb, and the very fact that she conceived was in itself a miracle. Vaomro la Avraham, Remez Benzel Avraham. Why does it say Vatelet bothered the Orachayim again? He's not spelling out the questions. It's our job to realize that there was a question that bothered him. Continue reading the Pasuk. What's the next question that bothers him? So she conceives, she gives birth. And who does she give birth for? On whose behalf? Who impregnated her? La Avraham. I don't know that by now. I understand. God remembers Sarah, as he said. He did everything he said. She conceives and she gives birth. Why is it telling me La Avraham? Who do I think it's for? The milkman? God forbid? Who do I think it's for? A personal trainer? Of course it's Avraham. We know it's Avraham. Why is, the, why is it telling me Avraham? So, listen to what the Arachayim says. It's beautiful. Look at the Arachayim. Omro le Avraham remez ben zela Avraham velo yishmael la Avraham. To say that this child is for Avraham, the other son is not for Avraham. Doesn't mean that Avraham shouldn't love the other son, but meaning this son will be Avraham's legacy. The other one is not going to be his legacy. Tichsev ki biyitzchak ikara lechazara. Because the Torah says, God promised Avram, Biyitzchak, through Yitzchak, you will find a legacy. We also find that when it says Hagar, she also gave birth La Avram Ben for Avram, for his legacy. So notice, says the Orachayim, this is beautiful. Shem Nikrash Sham Nikrashmo Avram. Aval Nekar Shem Avram. What's the Orachayim saying? Understand what it means that Sarah had this child for Avraham. What does it mean for Avraham? Someone to get him his slippers? Someone to bring him the newspaper? Get him a cup of coffee? No, it means she provided a legacy. She provided continuity. She provided progeny who would embrace his values and represent his name. She gave him a little karashol. So that's what the Pasuk means, says the Orachayim. Vatar she conceived, Vatelet Sarah, and Sarah gave birth Avraham for Avraham, a ben, a son. And what does it mean for Avraham, a son? In contrast to Yishmael, who of course was beloved by Avraham, but was not Avraham, did not represent his legacy, his continuity. So Orachayim, as if asks a question on himself, I don't understand. But turn back and you'll find that when, uh, when, when, turn back to chapter 16, verse 15, when Hagar gave birth to Yishmael, what does it say? And Hagar gave birth Le'avram Ben. She too thought she was providing his legacy. Le'avram. She gave birth for Avram. Says the Orchaim, notice. Who did she have a child for? Avram. Who did Sarah have a child for? Avraham. Sarah provided a legacy for the man whose name includes a hay. Sarah provides a legacy for the man who revolutionizes the world with ethical monotheism. Hagar, she gave a legacy for the Avram, for the man of the past, the child of pagans. Sarah gives a legacy in a child for the new man whose name includes a hay. Says the Orachayim, V'ulaiki lezeha kore Avraham Avram over ba'aseh. He quotes a Medrash and Breshus Rabbits, also Gemara and Brachos, maybe Megillah. I don't remember. So the Gemara says, anyone who calls Avraham Avram is violating a positive mitzvah. If I give a drush of the Shabbos and I refer to Avraham as Avram, I'm violating uh, a mitzvah saseh. Because once God changed his name, 
you have to use. The Gemara there says, once Avram was changed to Avraham, and once Sarai to Sarah, uh-huh. you're not allowed to use their old name, with the exception of Yaakov, that even though his name was changed to Yisrael, you can still continue to call him Yaakov. Tosfos there in the Gemara tells you why. Why is Yaakov the exception? And everyone else, when they, when they go into witness protection program and get a new name, you're not allowed to use their old name. Yaakov, when he goes into witness protection program, you're allowed to still use his old name. In fact, we predominantly use his old name, Yaakov. We only use his name Yisrael when referring to him as a father of a nation, the nation of Yisrael. Why is that? Leave it for another time. It says the Arachayim, Yoshua also. Once Hoshea becomes Yoshua, you only call him Yoshua. But says the Arachayim, now you understand why. Keep reading. Ta'am hakpadaso yisparach, so now we understand the reason. Because if you call him Avram, you're saying that the Ishmael and his descendants are neighbors in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. They're his legacy. Mm-hmm. If you call him Avram, you're creating an association between Yishmael as the predominant ambassador of Avram's legacy. That's the violation. God promised that we, Yitzchak and his offspring, would be the ambassadors of Avram's legacy. So you have to call him Avraham. So when our cousin Yishmael says, Hey buddy, we are as equally ambassadors. We have as much rights to the land. He was equally our father. We say, no. Avram was your father. Uh Our dad was Avraham. Uh Yeah, biologically we trace ourselves back to the same father. Biologically, we trace ourselves back to the same DNA. But our father changed, transformed himself. Your father was Avram. He left that long ago. Our father is Avraham. And if we dare call Avraham Avram, we bring Yishmael back into the picture. We bring them as equal rights. We bring them in as their brothers. So now he's going to answer the question a little bit. This does not apply to Yaakov. Why is there a difference? Because when you call Avraham Avram, you bring Yishmael back to the picture. But if you call Yisrael Yaakov, are you bringing anyone back into the picture? No, because Yaakov is the first who all of his children are kosher, so to say. Avraham has a Yitzchak and a Yishmael. Yitzchak has a Yaakov and a Nesav. Yaakov has the Shivteka, has 12 twelve. Kosher, what's the lack of a better term? The sons. So to call Yisrael Yaakov, you're not, you're not giving a, a stamp of approval to anybody. You don't have to worry. But to call Avraham Avram, you bring Yishmael back into the equation. A beautiful Orachayim. I think a beautiful Orachayim. So you understand what was bothering the Orachayim. Go back to the Pasuk. It bothered him, why does it say Vatahar? It could have just started Vatelid. It bothers, why does it say Le'Avraham? By the way, it's a little bit like chauvinistic. Maybe Sarah wanted a child. What do you mean she's having this kid for Avraham? She's not having it for Avraham. Maybe she's having it for himself. Avraham, she can't want a child for herself. In fact, Avraham had a child. He had Ishmael. If anything, I'd say, Sarah was having this child. She's the one who's barren. She's the one who's childless. He has a Ishmael. What does it mean? Oh boy. 11.50. So, so the Orachayim fills in. La Avraham means not for Avraham the individual. It means for Avraham... The nation, Avraham, the promise, Avraham, the vision of Avraham and his. So, Vatar, Vatelet, Sarah, Le Avraham, she conceived and gave birth for Avraham, for the vision of Avraham and the future of that nation. Okay, continuing. So, Avraham gives a name to this uh, child. He calls him Yitzchak. Calls him Yitzchak. Let's go. We've got to make up some ground. Avram gives him a circumcision on the eighth day as he was commanded to by God. Avram is 100 years old. Sarah says, God is making a joke of me. Everyone who hears is going to laugh at me. So, isn't this a little bit strange? I have a question for you. I have a question for you. Um, 
Hold on one second. You know what, we don't, we don't have time to focus on this now, but I'll just tell it to you this part of the question. The beginning of the parsha, Sarah gets into trouble. Why? Because she laughs. God says she's going to have a child, and what does she do? She laughs. She laughs. Um, she gets into trouble. By the way, again, what, let's look at this for a second. Where are we? He delivers the message. But Tzitzchak Sarah Bekirbalei more Sarah laughs in her heart, saying, "What are you kidding me? At this point in my age, I'm going to have a child." God asks Avram, "Why is she laughing?" God challenges. He's very upset. But Tzachachish Sarah Lemor Lo Tzachakti. I'm not really laughing. Vayemer Loki Tzachakti. Calls her out on it. What do you mean you laughed? What are you talking about? So then God answers. Fine. We keep going. By the way, how does Avraham react to the fact that he's going to have a son? He laughs. And does he get in trouble? No, not at all. Right? What does Avram name this son? Yitzchak. And he's not in trouble at all for naming laughter. And now here Sarah says, Elokim, And there's no problem. We don't see the rebuke. So why in the beginning of the parsha is she rebuked? And now she's not rebuked for laughing. And if it's such a terrible thing that, that she is cynical and laughs when she hears his name, when she hears she's going to have a child, how could she give the name to that child? That's a terrible name to give to a child. I went to yeshiva in Israel for a year with a guy whose nickname growing up was Oops. That was his nickname growing up. Why? Because he was a Ben Zikunim. His nearest, his next, his next oldest, his next oldest sibling was uh, 10 years older than him. And his nickname growing up, it was Oops. Right? Okay, we don't have to get graphic here. But the bottom line was, what does that mean? It means his parents found out. So we, we didn't plan that. We didn't plan on that happening. So can, you, so can you imagine? It's bad enough that they said, we didn't plan on that. What are we going to do now? But then that was the name. Let's name him. We didn't plan on that. What are we going to do now? Let's name him Oops. That wasn't his legal name, Oops. But that was his nickname growing up, the whole community. That was it called Oops. Right? So here, Sarah reacts because she laughs. She's rebuked for laughing. Let's give him a name. Let's call him laughing. Yitzchak. Avram laughs. Nothing happens. Here Sarah laughs. Nothing happens. What's going on? The answer is an unklus. The answer is an unklus. Who's unklus? Unklus Hager. Unklus, the Mishnah says, unklus, the proper translation of Chumash was lost. Unklus restored it, says the Gemara Megillah. Unklus, who was a convert, um, through his Aramaic translation, provides what we believe, says the Mishnah Mag- Megillah, in the Gemara Megillah, it's Misinai. He, his is the most authoritative translation of what the text really means. Go back to the beginning of the Parsha, when it says that Sarah laughed, Bikirba Lemor, she laughs in her heart saying, well, how does Unklus translate the word? Tzchak? In the beginning of the Parsha, Here, Pasuk Yudbeis. Perak Yudches, Pasuk Yudbeis. Chapter 18, verse 12. I'll read it for you. It says, V'chaychas Sarah b'ma'aha l'meymar. What does the word chaychas mean? Chich, chaych. Is a smile. Who knew that? Good for you guys. Is a smile. Look at the word, the translate the word here. When it says, V'atomer Sarah tzchok asali alokim. How does the English translate it here? Chedva avadli alokim. What does the word chedva mean? Chedva is avaviachva. How does it work? Ashibara. What are we saying? Ashibara. Gilarina sozam simcha. Ditsa vechedva. I knew chedva was in there somewhere. Chedva. Chedva is one of those words. What does that mean? Smile. Joke. No. Chedva means joy, happiness. According to Unclos, essentially, he's translating the words chok differently in each of those locations. Because a person could smile for one of two reasons. There's a smile whose source is cynicism and skepticism. And there's a smile whose source is joy and jubilation. In the beginning of the Parsha when Sarah's criticized, it's because she's cynical. God says, you're going to have a child. She's cynical. I'm having a child. Do you know how old I am? 
Are you out of your mind? Have you seen my old man? Are you crazy? I'm having a child? The smile in the beginning of the Parsha is a smile of cynicism and skepticism. God says, you're cynical? There's no room for cynicism in Judaism. There's no room for cynicism. Cynicism is toxic. It's negative. It's destructive. Now Yitzchak's born. She says, Tzchok. This is Tzchok. Let's name him Yitzchak. Why? Because she's learned her lesson. Now that same Tzchok, that same smile, is not the smile of cynicism, of chich. It's the smile of chedva, of joy, of jubilation. It's the smile of, of incredible happiness. So that's what's going on there. Oh boy, are we out of time. There's so much to talk about. What? Oh, so what's going on in this Pasuk? Let's end by going through this Pasuk then. Pasuk Vav. She says, everyone's going to Yitzchakli. By the way, how does Rashi understand it? Yismachalai, they're all going to be happy for me. I would have read the Pasuk the same way she said it in the beginning of the Parsha. So says, God's made a joke out of me. They're all going to laugh at me. I'm going to show up at mommy and me. Every other woman at mommy and me is going to be 22 years old and I'm going to be coming in my walker. I'm going to have a specially rigged up wheelchair with a baby stroller attached to it. That's how I'm going to come into mommy and me. They're going to make a joke of me. God's made a joke that I'm, uh, I'm an old lady having a baby. They're all going to laugh at me. That's how I would have read the Parsha. But Rashi, thanks to Unklos, understands no. What does it mean? Yismacha, they're going to be so happy for me. Why? Because at the moment Sarah became pregnant, so did every barren woman. And many people who were sick were healed that day. Her prayers were answered with many others. So there was so much joy in the world because people understood that it was in her merit that all of this blessing was showered on the world. So Rashi's reinterpret, not reinterpreting, he's giving us the proper interpretation of the Pasuk. The proper interpretation of the Pasuk is the whole world is going to be so happy for us. How did Rashi know that? Aside from the measure she's quoting. Unklus. Unklus is saying, Tzchokir is not a cynical smile. Tzchokir is joy. Sarah was no longer being cynical. Sarah was being genuine and saying, they're all going to be so happy for me. I am so happy. We've got to stop here. There's so much more to talk about. So they wean Yitzchak. Why is weaning Yitzchak? Why is weaning Yitzchak worthy of a party? Why is it that when Yitzchak has the party, that Sarah all of a sudden remembers, I don't like the way Hagar is in Yishmael. What's the connection between the party? Yitzchak being weaned, Yishmael being a problem. Why is she entitled to exile him? What's bothering Avram? Is bothering him about Yitzchak or is it bothering him about Yishmael? How does God appease that? There's a gazillion things to talk about here, but that's Baruch Hashem why we have next year. Have a fantastic day and a great Shabbos. Tanakh B'Shanah, don't forget to sign up for Tanakh. We need you to sign up by today.